morning, everyone. Welcome to Grace. It's glad to have you here this morning. My name is Tony. I'm uh, the campus pastor here at Grace Church. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I would love to uh, to get a chance to do that. But thanks so much for being here. You probably just saw uh, if you if you uh, if you walked in late, you may have missed. We actually just showed a video uh, that got a chance to kind of recap and highlight Bible Camp, which took place this last week. And man, that was just an awesome time uh, for us as a church. This past week, over 300 kids were able to come out and be part of Bible Camp. Over 100 different volunteers, many of you uh, who are in this room got a chance to do that. And uh, I just I just want to mention that, man, Bible Camp is so amazing. We love that so much. And uh, one of the reasons why is, and you've probably heard me say this if you've been around Grace for a while, one of my favorite things about our church is uh, the kids. And I, I love that um, that we get to be part of a community that values children very, very highly, uh, that we get we have so many kids, so many young families that are part of our church. And we view that, really, I view that as well as, as not just a privilege, but also a huge responsibility that God would kind of entrust us with the next generation and uh, to invest in them and to, to, to pour the message of his love and his hope into them. And so that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. That's why we value things like Bible camp. And so I just wanted to say, uh, especially if you're a person who helped serve this past week in any way, I wanted to just extend to you as your campus pastor a very special welcome for doing that. I know many of you uh, worked all day and then came out that night and worked all night. And I know that that is exhilarating and that is energizing, but it's also very exhausting to do that. So thank you, thank you, thank you, because your labor is not in vain. Um, Some of the major decisions in life trajectory changing you know, kind of elements happen at Bible camp. And so really, really thankful for that, that labor is not in vain. So thanks for a great Bible camp. And uh, I know I had a blast being there too. I saw more flossing than a dentist sees in his lifetime. If you don't know what flossing is, just go ask a 10-year-old. I'm sure they'd be happy to show you. And that'd be good. But hey, this week, really, really excited. We're going to be beginning a brand new series that we're going to be in for the next five weeks that we are calling Be Bold. And so if you're a guest with us here today, if it's your first time at Grace, thanks so much for being with us. And I really think you came on the perfect weekend. And the reason for that is because you are catching us at the very beginning of a series. So here at Grace, we oftentimes say that a series, the way we think of it, is it's sort of like one big conversation, one big talk over the course of several weeks. And so you're catching us at the very beginning for the next five weeks. There's going to be five talks. And the topic that we're going to be talking about, you can probably tell from our our graphic, I think it says it all, is uh, we're going to be talking about boldness. And that's really what we're going to be digging into and talking about is boldness. And more specifically, what we're going to be talking about is uh, what does it mean to live a bold life? And for those of us who follow Jesus, and of course, I know that not everyone in here today maybe follows Jesus. Some of you might still be exploring the whole Jesus thing. And, and if that's the case, welcome to the conversation as, as well. But for those of us who follow Jesus, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be bold in your faith? What does it mean to be bold for Christ? Right? What does that look like and what does that mean? And I'll tell you, there's a couple reasons I'm really excited about this series and why I think it's so important. Uh, one of the big reasons is this, is there is no doubt about it that uh, when you look into the pages of Scripture, um, you will see that God wants His people, those of us who follow Him, to be bold. 
Uh, that is something God deeply desires for those of us who follow him. And so you're gonna see this all over the New Testament. In fact, 42 times in the New Testament alone, you're gonna see this idea of boldness that's talked about in association with the Christian faith. Uh, the apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter six, he says, pray for me that I might be bold as I ought to be. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, the Bible says, the godly are as bold as lions. And so you get this impression that God wants his people to be bold. But one of the reasons I'm, I think this conversation is so necessary and is so important is because when we think of this idea of boldness, I think there can be some confusion and maybe some competing ideas of exactly what does that mean, right? So, so for sure, we see God wants his people to be bold, but what does that mean? What does that look like? And for those of us who follow Jesus, what does it mean to be a bold Christian? Because like I said, there can be some competing ideas of what that actually looks like. I thought it was interesting in preparation for this, uh, this series over the past month. One of the things I've done is I've just asked people. I just said, uh, you know, went to a bunch of random people and just asked the question, when you think of boldness, what do you tend to think of? Like what, what definition or what pictures or images come to your mind when you think of boldness? And I found that for many people, there was a lot of similarities. Uh, there was a lot of kind of common themes. So even for you, if I was to ask you this morning, when you think of the idea of boldness, what do you think of? Like, what comes to your mind? Maybe for some of you, you can relate with some of these images. For some of you, maybe an image like this comes to mind, right? When you think of boldness, maybe you think of a daring act of courage. In fact, when I went to Google and I just typed in boldness, this was actually one of the first images that appeared. And it's this idea of a courageous act of you know, daring and adventurous and crazy and scary. And for some of us, when we think of boldness, that's what we think of, right? We think of just kind of a daring act of courage, an adrenaline rush type of thing. Or maybe this, maybe for some of us, when we think of boldness, we equate boldness with loudness, right? So we're like, to be bold means to be loud either like loud in your personality or loud in the volume of your voice or you know, loud in some way. In fact, if you think about it, one of the terms that we use when we're typing or on our computers is, is bold font. Now think about that. What is bold font? Well, bold font is a font that stands out, right? It, it's in your face. It stands out from the rest. It forces you to look at it. And so for some of us, I think when we think of bold, that's what we think of. We think of assertive, we think of maybe aggressive, it's sort of in your face, it's kind of an outgoing personality, and that's what we sort of think of when we think of this idea of boldness. Or how about this? Maybe for some of you, maybe you associate the idea of boldness with, with like nonconformity. I noticed for some people when I talked about when you think of boldness, what do you think? A lot of people said uh, being different, so nonconformity. So for example, maybe you think of something like this guy here. Right? And we look at that and we'd say, wow, that is a bold fashion statement that he's making. What do we mean by that? What we mean is, um, man, he's just different. That's a different way to dress. That's, that's, he's marching to a beat of his own drummer. And for some of us, we think of boldness, that's what we tend to equate with it. Boldness is being different. It's anti-conformity for the sake of anti-conformity. And it's interesting, I think when we think about boldness, I noticed for many people, we, what we do is we tend to think of, uh, for lack of a better term, we tend to think of cockiness. We'll equate boldness with kind of this sense of overconfidence. In fact, do you ever notice when you talk, when you say the word bold, you naturally want to assume a certain posture? You ever realize that? Like when I say bold, I wanna, I wanna puff out my chest, I wanna clench my fists, 
I want to make kind of a mean face, like mm, bold. That's what I want, a kind of an R- RBF face. You guys have heard of RBF before, right? Resting bill check face. You guys have heard of that? And so it's just that for some of us, when we think of boldness, that's what we think. It's this strong and assertive, and I'm fearless, and man, ain't nothing going on. I'm bold, baby. Like, that's what we think of when we think of bold. Now, here's the thing, right? All these different images, all these different definitions of what it means to be bold. And here's the thing. The Bible tells us in no uncertain terms, God wants his people to be bold. Like I mentioned a moment ago, 42 times alone in the New Testament, we see this. God wants his people to be bold. God wants his people to be bold. But here is the problem. The problem is this, is that sometimes when we take these definitions of boldness, as we understand it, and you pair that with the word Christian, and what can happen is it can start to conjure up a different image in our mind. And so what we can think of then is we can think of overbearing, we can think of in your face, we can think of activism and extremism, and maybe the picture we think of when we think of being a bold Christian or being a bold religious person, so you might think of something like this, right? And so we think of the, the guy who's the pulpit-pounding, uh, Bible-thumping, shove this down your throat whether you want to hear it or not, braggadocious, condescending kind of approach. And of course, there's a big problem with this, right? Because the, the problem with this, I think all of us know, is that our society in particular has a strong aversion to anything that looks anything like this. Right. There is a strong, in fact, if you're a person that's in this room and you are exploring Christianity, so if you're not a Christ follower, this might be one of the very problems you have with Christians, right? Is you might be saying, you know what? It's fine if you believe what you believe and that's cool that you follow Jesus. Man, you don't, stop, stop preaching at me. You don't, don't, why do you feel the need to shove it down my throat and to do, and maybe for you, maybe one of the reasons you're not a Christian is because maybe there's people in your life or there was a church experience and, and it very much was like this, right? In fact, I think it's interesting. If you go to dictionary.com and you look up the term bold and then you look at the antonyms, so the opposite, do you know what some of the antonyms of boldness are at dictionary.com? It is fearful, quiet, shy, reserved. So what does that mean about boldness then? Well, that means the way we understand boldness is that boldness is loud, it's assertive, it's aggressive, it's overly confident. And, and, and listen, here, here's the thing. If you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and like I said, there's a strong aversion to that in our society. And for those of us who do follow Jesus, I think what happens is we look at this idea of, of being a bold Christian, and for some of us, we immediately just disqualify ourselves. So we immediately say, well, listen, that's just not me. That's just not me. Like, that's not my personality. I'm an introverted person. I'm a shy person. I, just, I don't have that personality type. I don't like being pushy. I don't like feeling like a salesperson. I don't like any of that kind of stuff. And so I, 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 that's, just, that's just not me. And so we'll disqualify ourselves. And yet, the Bible says God wants his people to be people who are bold. So here's why I'm excited about this series. Because in this series, what I'm hoping to do is I'm hoping that as we go into the Bible and we look at what the Bible teaches about boldness, we will see that boldness is actually much different than the way that we might initially understand it. That the biblical definition of boldness is actually much different than the way we might initially understand it. My hope in this series is that what we'll see is that the things that we tend to equate with boldness, like the pictures we just looked at, those things actually have nothing to do with what biblical boldness truly is. 
So that's my hope today. My hope is that as we introduce this series, that maybe we can just define what exactly do we mean when we say bold? And when the Bible says that God wants his people to be bold, what, what exactly does that look like? And I wanna envision that together. So my hope is to give us a definition of what boldness really is, biblical boldness here this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them? And I'm gonna take you to the place where we're gonna find this definition. It's found in Acts chapter four. So get your Bibles if you got them. Why don't you meet me in Acts chapter four? That's where we're gonna be spending our time here this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, page 760 is where you're gonna find Acts chapter four. So you can go ahead and find that in those Bibles we've provided. If you do not own a Bible, have one of ours. You can just take it home with you. So Acts 4, page 760. Now, as you're locating Acts chapter 4, let me just give you a little bit of the backstory. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna pick up in Acts 4 this really incredible story, but I gotta give you the backstory. So, so, so here's what we're gonna find. So Jesus, when he was on this earth, the Bible says that while he did his ministry, one of the things he did is he gathered disciples to himself. And more specifically, there was a group of 12 disciples that Jesus had kind of assigned to himself. And of those 12, there was two, one named Peter and one named John, two disciples of Jesus. And those disciples are the two guys we're going to see in Acts chapter 4. So I want you to understand, Peter and John were guys who would have walked with Jesus, they would have talked with Jesus, they would have uh, done ministry with Jesus. So we're going to see them here in this story. So the Bible says Jesus is crucified. After he's crucified, he raises from the dead. And then the Bible says in Acts chapter two, which is just two chapters prior to this, the Holy Spirit comes on God's people and the church begins. So Acts chapter two is the beginning of the church. And the Bible says that once the church begins, some really amazing stuff starts to happen. So for example, in Acts chapter three, the Bible says Peter and John go to the temple to pray, which was their custom. And they said, the Bible says that as they're at the temple, they run into this beggar, this guy who was lame from birth. And so the Bible says there's this guy from the time he was born, he couldn't walk. He's an adult now and he was begging for money. And Peter and John pass by him. And the Bible says that Peter and John look at him and they say, listen, silver and gold, we don't have, we don't got any money, but what we do have, we give you. And they said, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And the Bible says the guy who was born lame gets up and walks. I mean, full force miracle. And as you can only imagine, this attracted all kinds of attention. And so all the people wanted to know what happened and what's going on. And, and a bunch of people started to hear about the message of Jesus because of Peter and John. And a whole bunch of people started to give their life to Jesus. Well, as you can imagine, that attracted the attention of the religious leaders. And the religious leaders, some of you might know this, back in those times, they wanted nothing to do with the name of Jesus. They constantly were trying to silence and quiet the name of Jesus. So the Bible says the religious leaders come in and they arrest Peter and John for healing a person and talking about Jesus. So Peter and John are in prison overnight. And the Bible says that the next day, the religious leaders meet together with Peter and John. And that's where I wanna pick up the story beginning in verse five. So watch this, verse five. The next day, so the day after, Peter and John healed a man, preached about Jesus, and then were thrown in prison. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others 
of the high priest's family. All right, so let's just pause here for a minute. I want you to get this picture in your mind, okay? So I want you to see this with me. So the Bible says Peter and John heal a guy. They've spent the night in prison for talking about Jesus and for healing this guy. And the next day, the Bible says the religious leaders start to come together to confer and to figure out what to do with Peter and John. And what's so fascinating is the Bible actually gives us some of the names of those who are present in that meeting, all right? Now, now here's the thing. I know for you and I, as 21st century listeners in America, these names probably don't mean too much to us, right? We don't know who these people are. We don't know what, what they stood for or any of those types of things. But here's what I want you to understand. These names to a first century reader and a first century hearer would have evoked fear and it would have caused them to tremble and to gasp. And so... Um, uh, just to get in the spirit of the text, why don't we do that together? Okay, so I'm gonna read these names and I want you to give me your best gasp. Can we do that? Can we do that? I know it's early. Let's do that. All right, so here we go. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Look at this. Annas, the high priest, was there. That was really good, by the way. Yeah. And some of you are like, not Annas. Yeah, Annas was there. Why was he there? Who was this guy? Well, well, the reason that name would have evoked such fear, if you guys are Bible people, you might remember, this name shows up in John chapter 18. Annas was a critical piece of Jesus's trial before his crucifixion. Annas was, served as high priest. He was the guy who Jesus was slapped on account of. That's this Annas. He was a high-ranking political leader in the Jewish community. He served as high priest, right? You're talking about a, a heavyweight here. So the Bible says, look, Annas was there. Look, look who else was there. Can you guys believe it? So was Caiaphas. That's what I said. Caiaphas was there. You guys are like, who's Caiaphas? Well, again, Matthew chapter 26 talks about this guy. He also played an instrumental role in the trial of Jesus. He was the one who charged Jesus with blasphemy and sent Jesus to Pontius Pilate to get accused and ultimately to be crucified. So you have Annas was there, Caiaphas was there. Look at this, John and Alexander were there. We don't actually know anything about them. So that's, <laughs> but they, you know, they were there. So, but here's the point, all right? These guys, these people, these were the heavyweights, all right? These were the, these were the big dogs. Uh, you're talking about, listen carefully, the men who were responsible in part for the execution of Jesus Christ. They played part in that trial. So you're talking about some scary dudes. And so the Bible says that they start conferring together. And look what happens in verse seven. They had Peter and John brought before them and they begin to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? I find it fascinating. The Bible says that they took Peter and John and they brought them before them. Uh, some of you might have some different translations. If, if you do, uh, it might say like in the English Standard Version, it says that they placed Peter and John in their midst. Uh, the New American Standard Version, I think it says it really well. What it says is they placed Peter and John at the center. So you see what's going on here, right? This is not, this is not casual questioning. This is a full force interrogation. And these are powerful guys who want a very specific answer. This is a fearful situation to be in if you are Peter and John. I mean, can you guys imagine what it would be like to be questioned by and glared at the men who crucified Christ. Can you imagine this? And, and there's pressure behind this thing. Now, what are Peter and John gonna do? What are Peter and John gonna do? What are they gonna say? What are they gonna say? Check this out, look at verse eight. <clears throat> then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, 
rulers and elders of the people. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, and I'll just stop here. This is smart on Peter's part, isn't it? Peter, Peter looks at these guys and says, if the reason you guys are interrogating us is because a dude was healed who couldn't walk and he's walking. This isn't a crime. This is a wonderful thing. So if, that, if that's what you're asking us about, then look what Peter says, then know this, then know this. You, and look, this is incredible, and all the people of Israel. So Peter says, I'd be happy to tell you. In fact, I want everybody to hear. And then Peter says, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now look at this, whom you crucified. Ooh whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And if that's not enough, Peter keeps going. Look what he says next. Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Wow. What an answer. I want you to notice something about Peter's answer. I don't know if you, you probably noticed this. I want you to notice how specific Peter is. He's not vague. He is not ambiguous. Man, he is just as clear as can be on so many points. Look at this. Look what he says. He says, uh, I want you and everyone in Israel to know it is by the name of, look at this, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, in case you're wondering which one we're talking about, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but God raised him from the dead. How clear is this? And then he even goes on. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. Now, some of you are like, what does that mean? Well, you might notice that that's in quotation marks. And the reason is because he's actually quoting from the Old Testament. These guys were Bible scholars. They would have known what he was talking about. He's quoting from a prophecy that was written in the Old Testament. He says, Jesus was the stone you guys rejected, but he's the cornerstone. And then he says, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven and earth in which a person is saved. Wow, what a statement. So clear, so specific, no ambiguity. Like when they said, hey, Peter and John, in what name did you do these things? They weren't like, well, you know, it was God and we, we believe in a higher power and we have our faith. They were like, no, 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 Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, God raised. He was the cornerstone, the, the stone you guys rejected. No other name under heaven and earth is a person saved. So, so clear, so, so specific. But you see, this presents a little bit of a dilemma. And, and here's the dilemma. I think the problem with this can be that here we, we know exactly what Peter said. We have the text. But the problem is, we don't know the tone in which he said it, right? Do you guys ever notice that, that sometimes when you have the text, but you don't have the tone, it can put you in an interesting spot because it sets you up for miscommunication? Did you guys ever notice that before? If you have the text, but you don't have the tone, sometimes it can set you up for miscommunication. Do you ever find this like if you're texting with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your spouse or a friend, sometimes they'll text you and you're not sure what the tone is. And then you're like, you find yourself getting upset by something that really wasn't supposed to be upsetting to you, but it's because you had the text, but you didn't have the tone. You guys know what I'm talking about? My favorite thing is, do you ever have it when you text someone and you text them like a paragraph of information or something and they send you back one letter? <laughs> what letter? Okay. And you're like, what am I supposed to do with that? 
Are you mad at me? Are you agreeing with me? Did you butt dial me? I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I don't know how to interpret that. And that's what can happen with stuff like this is we don't, we, we have the text, but man, how do you think Peter said it? How do you think he said it? Because I, I mean, I think if we're not careful, what can happen is we can read certain tonality into what he said. Like, like for example, do you think Peter, when he said this, do you think he said it with some attitude? You think? I mean, when I read this, I'm like, oh, I hear all kinds of attitude. Like when I read this, I'm like, oh, I bet, I bet Peter said this and he was probably like, a, oh, I got you, right? Like when I, when I first read this, I imagine Peter's like, oh, you wanna know what name? You wanna know what name? Hmm, well, how about I tell you? It's Jesus Christ, suckers. <laughs> Ones you crucified, you dummies, right? That's how I can kind of read it. Did he say it loudly? Did he say it condescendingly? Did he say it, you know, how did he say it? How did he say it? How did he say it? Well, let me tell you something. I actually studied this passage real, real hard. And I actually think I'm 100% confident I know how Peter said this. Not just what he said, but how he said it. And some of you are like, well, how can you know that? How can you know that? Well, can I show you? Because here's how I know this. The same Peter who wrote these words in Acts chapter four is the very same Peter who wrote these words in 1 Peter chapter three. So 1 Peter was written by Peter. And here's what Peter the guy who just said that says, here's what he said. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But when you do this, do this with a superiority complex and a condescending belligerent <laughs> assertiveness. Is that what he says? Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. But when you do this, do this with an air of cockiness and blast them on social media. <laughs> is that what Peter said? No, 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 no. Look, look at this. Look at this. This is so important. Always be ready. Always be ready. Be prepared to give an answer. Be specific. Be clear. Don't be vague. But by goodness, do this with gentleness and do it with respect gentleness and respect. So I think I know how Peter said these words. I think Peter told us how he said these words. How did he say them? Here's how he said them. Clearly, not, not ambiguously, specifically, but I think gently and respectfully. In fact, if I could take a stab at it, maybe I'll just take a stab. I think maybe here's what Peter did. I think they said, I think that the leaders came to him and said, by what name did you do this, right? Because they're mean and aggressive. And my guess is Peter probably looked at him and he said, if what you're asking is how this man who was lame from birth is walking, then let it be known to you and to everybody it's because of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's the one you guys crucified. Remember, that was a few weeks ago. Oh, but God raised him from the dead. And you see, there is, there's no other name under heaven and earth that a person is saved. I think that's probably how he said it. Probably something like that with gentleness, not pushy, not condescending, not arrogant, not braggadocious, not in your face. I think he said it with gentleness and respect, clear. And you know what's crazy is we actually know that this response made a big impact in part because uh, droves of people started to follow Jesus as a result of Peter and John. But also, I think this, this response made a huge impact because of what happens in the next verse. I want you to notice what happens in verse 13. The Bible says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's a cool verse. But I'll tell you, one of the things I love so much 
Because the Bible says these religious leaders were astonished. They were shocked. They were wowed. And in part, what was it that caused them to be so astonished? Do you guys see what it is? One of the big things that caused them to be astonished was that these guys had so much courage. It's their courage. In fact, that word right there is also translated boldness. That's where we get the idea of boldness. Most translations say the word boldness. What was it that so shocked and awed and made, made these religious leaders be so astonished? It was, it was Peter and John's boldness. That's what it was. See, and here is where I think it's very necessary for us to give a definition of boldness. Here's a definition. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. A biblical definition of boldness. If you look at the word courage or boldness in the original language, you will find out that it comes from two root words, two Greek root words, and it literally means this. It means all speech. That's what boldness is. Courage is all speech. So so you see what that's saying? Here's a definition for you. Biblical boldness is an unreservedness of speech. It is an openness. It is a frankness. It is a without concealment, without ambiguity. That's what it is. That's what it is. It's, I'm just saying it. I'm saying the whole thing, all speech. I'm not concealing anything. I'm not misleading you in any way. I'm just telling you what it is. That's what boldness truly is, right? It's an honest response with gentleness and respect, regardless of who the audience might be. That's what boldness is. That's what boldness is. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, this is really encouraging. Because what it tells me is that biblical boldness is not about the volume of your voice. It's not about the aggressiveness or assertiveness of your actions. It's not about, you know, in some way I'm gonna shove this down your throat or about my personality and I just have to have a certain personality temperament to be, it's not about any of those things. Listen to me on this. Nonconformity for the sake of nonconformity is not boldness, not biblical boldness. Um, shouting loudly your opinion and forcefully and aggressively protesting is not boldness, not biblical boldness, okay? Those things are not biblical boldness. Just shouting aggressively, the things that I think, that's not biblical. Mostly that's obnoxious and unhelpful. Biblical boldness is much more concerned with this idea of just confident transparency. It's, It's fearless transparency. I'm just going to say it like it's basically, I'm going to shoot straight with you. I'm just going to shoot straight. It's an unreservedness of speech. It's interesting. When I think about the biblical idea of boldness, I can't help but for some reason, I just always think of the innocence of children. You guys ever notice that kids are just, I mean, they're just bold. Talk about unreservedness of speech. They're just going to say what they're thinking to anyone. They don't care who it is or if it's socially appropriate or not. And sometimes it gets you in trouble. Like if you're a parent, like my, my little daughter, I have four kids. I have three boys and one little princess. And my little princess, man, she's bold. She's a bold little girl. And she will just go up to, we'll be at the grocery store. She'll go up to anybody and she'll just say whatever she's thinking. So she'll just walk up and she'll just be like, I'm two years old. And the person's like, oh, you're talking to me? Yeah, I'm two. You, I'm two. You know, I drew a picture of a bunny the other day. You did. Yeah, I did. Your shirt looks funny. And you're like, oh, don't say, you know, and, and, and there's just that, that innocence, that unreserved. How, how funny would it be, by the way, if we as adults did that? How cool would that be? Like, can you just imagine if, if we were at the grocery store and I was standing in line behind you and I was just like, I'm 37 years old. 
I, I mowed the lawn <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> That'd be awesome. It's a challenge. I want to challenge you to try that this week. And if you do it, I'll visit you in prison. That'd be <laughs> awesome, right? That's the idea, right? It's an unreserved, and I'm not saying be socially awkward or weird or any of that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm saying, but it's just an unreservedness. I'm just not afraid to say what's true with gentleness and respect. So what does boldness look like for a Christ follower? Well, I think it looks like this. I'll give you a couple examples. I think it looks like, for those of us who follow Jesus, what that means is, it means that we've set apart Christ as Lord. And if you've set apart Christ as Lord, that means your life is gonna change. That means your values and your priorities are gonna shift. That's what's gonna happen. And that means that people are probably gonna notice that. And boldness means that I'm not afraid to tell you the reason why that's happening. That's what boldness is. So let's say you got some friends and they're like, hey man, I, you know, you started following Jesus. And they're like, hey man, I, you know, I, I used to party with us, but it seems like you don't do that anymore. How come, how come it seems like, man, you've really tamed down and, and you're not part of the scene that we were part of before and you're not doing what we did before? There can be a temptation sometimes in those environments to want to cater the answer in a way that's more appropriate to the audience, isn't there? So you might say things like, well, you know, yeah, you know, I'm trying to cut back and you know, the wife, she don't like it. And, you know, I'm trying to watch my carb intake. Beer's got a lot of carbs. I'm trying to watch my carb intake. That's what I'm doing, right? Now, let me ask you a question. Is that true? Sure, that's true. I guess depending on what kind of beer you're drinking. Yes, that's true, right? But is that the reason? Is that the reason? Tell them the reason. That's what boldness is. Boldness is I, I'm unreserved. But hey, man, you're not, you're not doing the things we're doing. Why, why is that? You want to know? I, I'll let you know, man. Be honest with you. I, I started following Jesus. And, he, and I'll just tell you, my values and my priorities have been changing radically. And, and I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else, but my goodness, I have, I have started to follow him and it's absolutely changed my life. It's an incredible thing. I found such hope and such peace and such life in Christ. Man, you could have that too. See, that's boldness. And some of you are like, yeah, but what if the person's like, well, I don't want to hear it. Well, then they don't want to hear it. I don't, boldness isn't being pushy about it. It's just being honest about it. It's not condescending. It's not arrogant. None of those things. It's, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you the truth, all speech. I'm just saying what it is. And when your coworkers ask, why is it that you value things differently? When, you're, when the people at your middle school or your high school or your family look at you and they say, how come you don't do the things we do or you do the things you do or how come you do marriage the way you do or how come you don't do dating the way that we do dating or how come you approach sexuality the way you approach, you just, you say it. It's, it's because of Jesus Christ. It's because of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Be specific. Be clear with gentleness and with respect. That's what boldness looks like. Unreservedness of speech. I think for those of us who follow Christ, sometimes there can be a temptation to want to keep things vague or ambiguous. And so someone asks us something or we're in a conversation and we'll just keep it real general. We'll say things like, well, you know, I have convictions and I have my faith and I believe in a higher power. And I'm like, just say it. Say his name. It's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's the one who's changing me. Be specific, be gentle, be respectful. That's what boldness is. Now, I understand at this point in the talk, some of you might be pushing back in me a little bit. You might be thinking to yourself, yeah, that, that might be good for some of you, but you gotta understand, faith for me is a very personal thing. 
Faith is very personal. And so, so that might be fine for some, of, for some of you guys, but for me, no, my, my, my Jesus, you know, my, my connection with Jesus is a very personal thing. And let me just say this with all the gentleness that I have, that if you are a follower of Jesus, yes, your faith is deeply personal, but it was never intended to be private. Never. God wants his people to be bold bold in their testimony about what Jesus Christ has done in their life. And I'll tell you one of the big reasons I think this is the case is because God uses boldness. God uses and God blesses boldness. In fact, can I just show you something I find really encouraging? I hope you find this encouraging too. The Bible says that God uses the boldness of Peter and John in really powerful ways. But I love what the religious leaders said. Look at this. They saw the courage of Peter and John, the boldness, and then they realized they were unschooled, ordinary guys. I love this. The Bible says they were blown away. Why? Well, look at how bold these guys are. And they're just these unschooled, ordinary dudes. And what's really interesting is the word ordinary uh, in the original language is where we get the English word idiot. And so in other words, they're like, these guys are a bunch of idiots. They were shocked. Like these, God, these idiots are so bold and God is using them. And I, I don't know about you, Man, does that encourage me, because I'm an idiot. And I, I, I read this, and I, I come to realize that, man, it's not my ability to persuade others. It's not my winsome personality or my incredible intellectual prowess that's somehow going to be used by God to win other people. Not that those are bad things, but that's not where the power of God is. God uses boldness of ordinary people. I think we have so elevated the role of human persuasion in evangelism that sometimes we think that if anyone is gonna you know, get connected to Jesus it's because of somehow we have a slick presentation or because of our winsome personality or our wittiness. And I'm just saying those things have nothing to do with boldness. It's just, man, I'm gonna tell you what it is. And I'm gonna let God work through that in a powerful, powerful way. And we see that happen with Peter and John. Well, I'll tell you what happens in the rest of the story. So the rest of the story, the Bible says the religious leaders eventually have to let Peter and John go because they have no reasonable reason to hold them. So they let him go, but before they release them, the Bible says that the religious leaders command Peter and John, and they say, you are not allowed to talk about Jesus anymore. No teaching about, no talking about Jesus. And I love Peter and John's response. I just gotta show it to you because this is just so bold. Look at this. So Peter and John replied, which I just love that alone. You don't reply to a command, but that's what they did. They replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? We'll let you be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and about what we have heard. Now this, I think, man, that's boldness. That's boldness. We can't stop talking about what we've seen and what we've heard. We can't stop telling the truth. We can't stop testifying to what we know is true. And so if you're telling us to stop following Jesus, to stop talking about Jesus, to silence it, then you know what? We're gonna have to listen to God and we will accept whatever consequences that brings. That's what boldness looks like. So here's the question. How do we, for those of us who follow Jesus, be bold like that? How can we be bold like this? Because some of us are like, and I could never be like that. Well, I think by God's grace, you can be. I think God wants us to be, for those of us who follow him, to be bold like that. And that's what we're gonna talk about in the series. For the next several weeks, we're gonna talk about what does biblical boldness look like? How do we pursue it? And how do we become bold people 
like the scripture says. So as we close out today, I actually wanna close with two final thoughts and then a challenge, and then, and then we're, we're gonna be done, all right? So here's two final thoughts that I think are very important before we jump into the rest of the, of the, of our, of the series uh, for, the next, for the next weeks that we're together. First thought is this. I think it's very important that we recognize in the very beginning that this type of boldness that we're talking about comes from the Holy Spirit, all right? That's just real important. It's real important that we recognize that the type of boldness that we see in this passage is a direct result from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In fact, can I show you something I think is really, really important is if you go back to verse eight, right before Peter responds, the Bible clues us in on a very important detail. It says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit before he answered. Now that might seem like kind of an unimportant detail to you, but that is very significant. In fact, that's the deal breaker. And here's why. Because this Peter, we actually know this Peter. Some of you guys remember this Peter, if you've read through the New Testament. And this Peter is the same Peter who historically does not do well under pressure. Right, this is the Peter who, you guys remember when Jesus was walking on water? And then Peter, Peter was the one who was like, Jesus, I want to come out there with you. And Jesus is like, come on out. And so Peter, remember this scene? Peter walks out in the water. Remember what happens? He gets terrified. He starts to sink. He's like, save me. And then Jesus comes over. He's like, come on, you know, and he helps him out. That's what, that's, that's this Peter. Doesn't do good under, this is the same Peter. Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And Peter's like, never going to happen, Jesus. I'm not going to let it happen. And Jesus is like, come on, Peter. He's like, I'll tell you what, before the rooster crows tomorrow, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, never. And then the next morning he had denied Jesus three times, twice to little slave girls. That's this Peter. Historically, he folds under pressure. And all of a sudden in Acts 4, you see a very different Peter. What has changed? And here it is, man, the Holy Spirit. He had the Spirit of God. That is what empowered him to be bold. In fact, in weeks to come, we're gonna talk about that. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in boldness? It's gonna be something we're gonna talk about in weeks to come. Here's the second thought, super important. This type of boldness comes from prayer. The Bible is very clear. There is a direct correlation between boldness and prayer. In fact, what I love so much about this passage is after Peter and John get released, do you know what the first thing they do is? They run back to their community. And the Bible says, they, said, they say to their community, we gotta pray. This just happened. We gotta pray. We gotta pray right now. And do you know what they prayed for? Can you guess? Can you guess? Can you guess? Can you guess? Boldness. Let me, let me show you the content of their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. Could it be that maybe one of the reasons that those of us who follow Jesus aren't experiencing this type of boldness is because we're not asking God to give it to us? It's amazing to me, the correlation in the Bible. The apostle Paul, who's like the boldest guy ever, in Ephesians 6 says, pray for me. Why? So I could be bold as I ought to be. See, if we look at these guys and we think they weren't afraid, they were totally afraid, just like we are. But they came to God. They said, God, let us be bold. Let us be bold. And that brings me to the challenge. So here's the challenge. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Here's my challenge. And this is for everyone who's here today who follows Jesus. I want to challenge you very simply. Would you be willing to, over the course of the next five weeks, would you be willing to pray one simple prayer every day. Would you be willing to do this? I quadruple dog dare you. 
one little prayer every day for the, for the duration of this series. And it is a prayer for boldness. So here it is. I've been praying this prayer for the past several weeks, and I want to invite you. Our staff has been praying this prayer. I want to invite you to pray it with us. Here it is, every day. Lord, make me bold because the world desperately needs you. Would you be willing to pray that prayer? Would you be open to God doing that work in your heart? Lord, make me bold because the world desperately needs you. God, my family desperately needs you. God, my workplace desperately needs you. God, my neighborhood desperately needs you. Lord, make me bold. My school needs you. My high school, my college my, it needs you. God, make me bold. Would you be willing to pray that prayer? And actually, as a way to encourage you and to help you with this, uh, our staff has actually created a really cool resource. I think it's helpful, and I'd love for you to take advantage of it. If you go to our app or to our website, you can actually download. There's a bunch of different images Here's, here's a sample of them. Um, but you can download any of these. And, and basically, here's what we know. We know that the one thing you have on you all the time is your phone. And so what if you went on your phone, even right now, you just go on the website, go to the app, and what if you downloaded one of these images and you made it your screensaver, your wallpaper on your phone? What if you did that? And so every time, you know, you grab your phone and you see that, it's just a reminder. Okay, cool. Yeah, Lord, make me, you know, before you walk into that meeting, before you walk into that whatever, your school, you look, okay, yeah, Lord, make me bold because the world desperately needs you. What if you use that as an encouragement? We actually created several different options because we know that over five weeks, familiarity can breed contempt. And after a while, you can start to become invisible. So change it up every once in a while and just let it remind you to pray that prayer. Lord, make me bold because the world desperately needs needs you. If you're not a techie person or if you're not a smartphone person, um, you could also just download those, print them up if you want to, put them on the dashboard of your car. We also have buttons, like physical buttons that say, be bold at the Welcome Center. If you want to go that route, do that. And all that, again, is just a reminder to pray this one simple prayer. Lord, make me bold. Lord, make us bold because the world desperately needs you. Let's pray. Lord, pray that you would make us bold because the world desperately needs you. And Jesus, we understand that you bless boldness and that you desire for your people to be bold, not arrogant and pushy and not condescending and not belligerent and not braggadocious, but, but man, with gentleness and respect, honest and clear, that's what you want. All speech, unreservedness, say the thing. So Father, would you give us that boldness? Would you empower us with that boldness? Because we know that you desire to use that boldness to touch the lives of other people. And so Father, would you make us bold? Make us a bold church because the world desperately needs you. Make us bold because Medina needs you. Make us bold because the neighboring communities need you. Our world needs you. So we pray these things in Christ's name, amen.